News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And a reminder, Hancock's Bikes for Kids, it is back. It's back. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's coming back. It'll be on uh, Tuesday, December 7th, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. at Bank of America Stadium, WBT, along with the Carolina Panthers and our pals over at WSOC-TV, all uh, getting together to help collect bicycles for local kids. And uh, thank you to everybody in years past, over the last 28 years, right? We've been doing this at WBT. Let's continue that tradition of giving that Hancock started way back when, before I was even born. By donating a bicycle Tuesday, December 7th, Bank of America Stadium. And uh, you might want to get your hands on a bike early uh, because of the supply chain uh, issues and such. So if you see one, grab it, obviously pay for it, but uh, and then just you know sit on it for a little while. Well, I mean, don't literally sit on it, but just like hold on to it for a little while and then uh, bring it by. Go to WBT.com for all of the details. And thank you again for uh, your donations and support for Hancock's Bikes for Kids. Um, all right, so four months after a judge ruled that the Rise and Shine Cafe and its owner, Kathleen Grace, violated state-mandated COVID-19 protocols, the case is, once again, back in court. This is a story out of Asheville. In a story at the uh, Citizen Times newspaper by Shelby Harris, uh, in July, a Buncombe County judge found Grace and Rise and Shine Restaurant guilty of eight misdemeanor charges of violating state and local orders, banning sit-down dining in restaurants after the restaurant was open for dine-in service May 16th through the 20th. Okay, so there were four days, May 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20, I guess five days. Her attorney, James, or uh, yeah, James Thomas Ambergy, appealed the ruling and now a jury trial uh, is underway. Audiences were permitted November 8th and 9th, and many people who were not wearing masks attended. Yeah, that's in the story. They're very interested. That, yes, Shelby Harris is very interested to let us know that there were people in the courtroom not wearing masks. I know. It's awful. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, it's not plugged in. That's my fault. Um. On the final day of jury selection, November 10th, Judge Karen... Well, yeah, what can I say? I, I have to plug in the laptop in order to play the bites, and then I have to unplug it so I can monitor the Rittenhouse thing. Oh, and the Rittenhouse thing. So what they're doing today is they're just going through various motions. The jury is not there. They're just... The, the prosecution and the defense are just running through um, motions and, and hashing out all of the details for their closing arguments and such. So this way... Nobody gets in trouble again, prosecutors looking in your direction, during the closing arguments. So that's what's going on today. Um, All right, so the audience was permitted in the courtroom um, on November 8th and the the 9th. Many people not wearing masks. On the final day of jury selection, November 10th, Judge Karen Edie Williams closed the proceedings to the public and unmasked onlookers Crowded the waiting area. There you go. Some of them were wearing Rise and Shine t-shirts with the phrase, serving freedom every day. 
on the back. So now what's interesting is that they were charged. They're fighting this in court. And this may, I, I'm curious to know, like, it, do the convictions on this stuff, you know, how far do they go, like, on the appeals? Will they try to go all the way to the state Supreme Court? Because this gets at, this gets at the power of the governor to enact these mandates at the time that shut down the business. And in the state constitution, like, there's a preservation of the right to earn a living. And so that's where the Pacific Legal Foundation is challenging the Emergency Management Act uh, on those grounds that it's a violation of the state constitution. And the five days that, or, yeah, the five days that they were open, this restaurant was open in Asheville, and I've eaten there, Rise and Shine, so it's a, they, they have good food. Um, 16th through the 19th, 2020, despite Governor Roy Cooper's executive order banning in-person dining that remained in effect until May 22nd, so three days later. So basically, they opened early. They opened the 16th, like a week before the mandate ended. That's what they've been charged with. According to evidence presented by the prosecution, Asheville police received multiple calls from people complaining about it being open. Why? Why would why would you complain about a restaurant being This is the thing and this has been from like the very beginning. If you're afraid of going to a restaurant because it's open and you're afraid of getting sick, then don't go to that restaurant. What am I missing here? Right? Well, Pete, what about the people who work there? Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. But when Governor Cooper um, closed down all of the businesses, shut down the entire economy, um, there, you know, there wasn't a, a program immediately in place to help all of those workers either. So maybe the workers at Rise and Shine, they say, I'm not going to come in because of this, and then they get fired. Well, then they can collect unemployment, which was basically what everybody else had to do. So it seems like that problem gets taken care of with systems that were already in place. So why exactly are you calling the cops on the Rise and Shine Cafe? This is the same question I had for the people who called the cops on Selwyn Pub. What, last year? Because when they allowed the bars to reopen, Selwyn reopened and they saw people that were standing, not sitting. And whoop, 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 call the ambassadors, the COVID ambassadors, right? Which never really, like, that's, you never want to see an ambassador for COVID. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to take that meeting. It's COVID. But, like, why, why would you call? You're, 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 you're sending law enforcement. And you know that, you know who these Grubers are. I call them Grubers. I've, I've gone over this. I will restate. Hans, oh, sorry. I always want to say Hans. Hans is the one from Die Hard. It's not Hans. Rolf. Rolf Gruber is the character from Sound of Music. He was the boyfriend of Liesel, who went and became a brown shirt for the Nazis. He's the one who blew the whistle and ratted out the location of the Von Trapp family when they were trying to escape from the convent, the Abbey. Now, in Gruber's defense there... The dad, he, you know, he kind of pushed the kids' buttons. He said, you'll never be a man. Really? Like, why, why you got to say that? 
Like, you're trying to flee. He's, like, obviously letting you go. He's all scared about it. You should totally just run. But no, no, no. Dad has to take the opportunity to rub Rolf's face in it. And then Gruber's like, Captain, Captain, or whatever, Lieutenant, whatever he was screaming. And then, of course, the Nazis are hot on the trail. Of course, they let, they escaped in the mountains. Spoiler alert, they all survived. But um, that's why I call them Grubers. That's who these people are. They're blowing their whistle to alert authorities. And how much do you want to bet these are the same people that lament every single interaction that law enforcement has with a civilian that ends with the civilian dying? They're, so this is, they're like, oh, I can't believe the cops interacting with the people. Like, hey, you know what? If you don't call the cops on people for stupid stuff like this, then uh, there's less of an opportunity for the cops to gun them down. Just a heads up on that. Fewer laws means fewer law enforcement or less law enforcement, you know? I'm just trying to follow the logic there. To earn an honest living, free from arbitrary interference. This is all uh, under the fruits of their own labor clause. All right? You have a right to earn an honest living. It's a fundamental right protected in the North Carolina state constitution. And that's the issue at the core of this case out of Asheville, the Rise and Shine Rise and Shine Cafe. They opened a week earlier than Governor Cooper's mandate that shut all of the businesses down through May 22nd, 2020. Shut all the businesses in the state down, well except for the essential ones that he picked, right? And so Rise and Shine said we got to open. And they opened up a week early and then people we're like, they're opening early. They're trying to kill everybody. And then they like called the cops and the cops went in there and they cited them. They went to a, a, a judge, went to court. Judge found them guilty. They're now appealing. Jury trial is underway. Okay. Today. The defense is saying that the owner, Kathleen Grace, was one of many restaurant owners trying to keep their businesses afloat and employees working during a very difficult time. And this is one of the things that always gets me. When we heard earlier, you know, people are like, well, you know, Governor Cooper, he's trying to do the best he could. Difficult circumstances, bad options all around. I get all of that. Yep, absolutely. And at the beginning, I was not as critical as I am now. You know, circumstances have changed. More information has become available. But that same sort of charity that we want to extend to the governor and to all, you know, elected leaders, except for Donald Trump, obviously, uh, when they were put in a difficult position of making these decisions, um, how come we don't provide that same charity to the businesses? No, no, no. We're going to throw them. Well, I don't know if they're facing jail time. We're, we're going to make them pay fines. She was sentenced, by the way, the owner was previously sentenced to a year of unsupervised probation, ordered to pay a fine, as well as court costs. The restaurant is still open. So say what you want, but like staying open, they're still in business right now. Would they have stayed in business? She says, no, they would not have. And for people who work in restaurants, they know this to be true, that like the margins in restaurants is very, very, very slim especially if you don't sell alcohol, which the Rise and Shine Cafe, I'm not sure if they do, but it's a breakfast joint. So I'm not sure they do sell. Maybe they do. I don't know. I I doubt they. I I went there. It was very early. It was like a 6 a.m. meeting that I had or something one day or a 7 a.m. meeting. And so I we did not drink. 
So I, I don't know if they sell alcohol at the Rise and Shine Cafe. Uh, the attorney for the restaurant owner said, we're talking about serving scrambled eggs and making somebody a criminal. <laughs> she does not face jail time, according to the newspaper article, the Citizen Times. Um, I don't understand why people would call the cops on a restaurant that stayed open. I did not understand it when they did it to Selwyn. But Pete, they're spreading the virus. At that restaurant. Yeah, but then they leave it. Okay, so what's the limiting principle there? If the governor says you're an essential worker at an essential business, then you, then the virus doesn't spread with you? Is that the idea? This is there, There's always been, see, this is the thing that a lot of people want to deny, but there has always been a very arbitrary aspect to a lot of the, the mandates, a lot of the protocols that were put in place. There was a, there was. And you could say that, you know, we needed to have them and all this other stuff, but there's a very arbitrary aspect to a lot of this stuff. Right now, even, right? The positivity rate. That's what we're all looking at before they lift the mask mandate. Although, you know, walking around, going around town, I will tell you, the mask mandate, it's kind of been lifted already in a lot of places. But um, the, the 5% positivity rate, what's the science behind 5%? It's a nice round number, no? Why 5%? Why not 52 why not six? Why not three? Why 5% positivity? Why does it have to be 30 days straight? Oh, that's okay, Pete. It's not 30 days straight anymore. It's seven days straight. Oh, well, why did that change? It's the science and data. So you lose credibility and then you lose buy-in from people when, when you make these metrics arbitrary. I've been saying this from the beginning. If you have a reason why these things are what they are, then let's hear it. And the mask mandate's a perfect example of it. The mask mandate's because people walking around with dirty cloths over their faces, that doesn't necessarily provide protection. And the studies have shown this. Even the governor's studies, the two dozen studies that were cited, and I've broken these down before in the past, it gets kind of boring because it's, you know, science. But, um... It's, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Science can be very interesting, people. Uh, study science, kids. So the mask mandates or, or the, the masking itself, cloth masks are only about 10% effective in reducing spread. That's it, 10%. And that's if they're worn, quote, properly, which, spoiler alert, they're not. They're just not. People do not wear them properly, and they put their grubby fingers all over them and move them around, and they don't wash them enough. And, yeah, so it, they're not... There, 10% is on the high end of that scale. You know what's you know what's better? You know what's equal to an N95 mask? Everybody being masked up with N95 masks, worn properly. You know what's equivalent to that? Moderate ventilation. Moderate ventilation. You know it was never part of the three W's? Despite even WRAL's Travis Fain asking about it on occasion. I don't understand why the governor's office never put ventilation could have been a fourth W. Wind or windows could have been a fourth W. Never part of the protocols. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, joining me now is the senior vice president. Senior vice president at the John Locke Foundation, or is it just vice president? I forget. Becky Gray, welcome, Becky. Is it senior vice president or just vice president? 
senior vice president. I thought so. That's yeah. what happens when you hang around long enough. That's right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's why we don't have any of those titles in radio. That's Okay, so uh, <laughs> so let's see. What uh, anything going on in North Carolina politics uh, over yeah, the last forty eight hours? Nah, not much at all. You know, no. just some really surprise filings for Congress, um, governors not knowing what they're going to do about the budget. The COVID thing continues. Emergency orders continue. We got lawsuits filing left and right. But you know, other than that, just a quiet. Quiet week and that is Yeah, that is sort of North Carolina politics uh, <laughs> these days. All right, so let's start with the budget. This is probably going to be pretty quick just be, because there really isn't anything new to report except that it seems like the legislature is not going to be able to come to some sort of an agreement with the governor, but they're going to keep some of his ideas in their proposal. Is that the, is that the reports that I've seen at least? Yeah, and, you know, Pete, keep in mind, too, that, you know, a lot of the ideas are common between the General Assembly and the governor. Um, you know, everybody's talked about teacher pay increases. Everybody's talked about more money for state employees. Everybody's talked about some bonuses for some state employees to get through the COVID. Everybody's talking about spending all of the COVID money that's come in from the federal government. Everybody's talking about putting some money in savings accounts. So there's a lot of common goals between, I think, everybody involved with this budget process. It just, as they say, the devil is in the details. And then there's some big things. You know, the governor continues to talk about Medicaid expansion. The General Assembly has made it clear one more time that they are not interested in doing that, don't feel like that's the best policy. Um, so, you know, that continues. But Pete, here's a little bit of new news on that front is that what we're hearing, and at this point, you know, nothing is absolutely confirmed, but what we're hearing is that there are some Democrats who agree that this is a good budget and are willing to not only vote for the budget, but probably vote for an override should the governor decide to veto it. And the Senate needs two Democrats to vote with all the Republicans in order to get that override vote. And the House needs three. So, you know, those are critical votes. And what we're hearing is that those votes are most likely there both in the Senate, which is where this override process, if it's needed, would begin. And then it would go to the House where we're hearing more and more that there are maybe as many as nine Democrats who would wow. vote with the Republicans to override it. So that puts another kind of glitch in these negotiations, if you will. You know, does the governor want to, does the governor want to veto a bill that he, there's a pretty high likelihood, at least at this point, that it would be overridden? Um, does he want to put himself in that position or is it in his best interest to finish out these negotiations with the House and the Senate, come to some kind of an agreement on a budget that they can can feel good about presenting to him and have a lot of support from their caucus and one that he could sign on to. So the the news is not the veto and overrides and and controversy in within the Democratic caucuses, but the news would be we've reached an agreement, everyone agrees to it. The governor could certainly share some of the responsibility for it with legislative leaders um, and present a more uniformed front. I, I think that's a good idea, to be honest with you. But, you know, that's another glitch that we may see in here is that, again, 
the likelihood of a veto override kind of puts another element into the negotiation. Right, because if he if he makes those Democrats vote to override, he jams them up in an election year uh, that he's not running in. And yeah. uh, if he or he takes the if, if he takes the hit, then he can approve it. And Democrats then can, you know, if they're in a vulnerable seat or whatever, they, they don't have to run uh, with a yes vote or an override vote. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Because uh, he has in the past, I mean, this is just, you know, political calculus, and I don't know uh, all of the factors and the different parts that he's looking at there. But um, in the past, he has, you know, the reports are that he has threatened uh, his uh, Democratic colleagues, like, you know, they, they won't have any ability to get anything done if they go against him and he makes them all fall in line. And we've seen votes flip, you know, before where they were uh, in support of something and then he vetoes it and then they are like, uh, I'll ve- I'll override it. And then they turn around and don't override. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, we, we, we'll have to see just like all, all of this stuff. But I think there is a benefit politically to him signing off on a budget. But I don't know if he's interested in that. If he's got some other plans for some other run for another office, maybe. But I've not heard that he has any desire for another office. Pete, I just don't know. I mean, it's a tough calculus. Um, The teachers have not received a raise Um, since 2018. They received raises under Republican leadership when Republicans were able to get through a budget. Governor Cooper has vetoed every single budget. He has vetoed teacher pay increases. He has vetoed state employee pay increases. They've been relatively patient up to this point, but I'm getting a sense that a lot of people's patience is running out. Also, there is a lot of money involved in this budget. Not only is there a surplus in revenue that will be used for tax cuts and some reinvestment into state government, but there's also all that COVID money in there. And that's a lot of money that's going into the school system for health care, going across the state into communities. And I think it's unfortunate if the governor puts those Democratic members of the General Assembly in a position where they have been before, that they have to choose between party alliance and what's really best for their constituents. And um, so so we'll see what's going to happen. It's an interesting political landscape and strategy that's playing out in the long run, if you take all the politics out of it, which granted is very difficult to do, but this is a good budget. It reduces taxes. It reigns in the growth of government. It gives a lot of money out there for a lot of things, for education, for capital investments, for public safety, a lot of things that North Carolinians care about. I think everybody ought to put the take off their political hats and put on their governing hats and do what's best for the state of North Carolina, come to an agreement on this and get this thing done, get this implemented, get that money out into the economy, and let's get North Carolina's economic engine running again. Becky Gray, the Senior Vice President at the John Locke Foundation. You can read her work and her colleagues' work at carolinajournal.com. Becky, always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Pete. You have a great weekend, too. Oh, goodness. (laughs) So angry. Sports make you angry, Ryan. You should really maybe like unplug from sportsing for a little while. Why do you think I'm over here? Just he's on. <laughs> you're on like sabbatical. This is you're on like a sports hiatus. <laughs> this is for my long term mental health. 
Yeah, you'd rather sit here in a room listening to me rant about politics. No, he wouldn't rather. But uh, you do make it interesting, Peter. We'll say that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try to be uh, entertaining and informative, just at least one of the two at a minimum. I feel like you're actually doing this show just for me every day because we're the only two people in the room right now. Pretty much. That's why I say that I'm an introvert and people find that hard to believe because I'm on the radio. But I am. I'm, an in, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. Now, you'll never know this if you see me out in public and I know that you know who I am. I'll talk with you. you know, I'm at a party or something or at an event and I'll... You were, you were showing me at the Veterans Day Festival right. yesterday. There was the, the, guy that, the, the guy that came up to you during the... At wheels. The, on the, yeah, wheels. Yeah, Steel Wheels Willie. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I'm perfectly comfortable and capable of having those discussions. The question is, what happens to the tank after the event? That's, the, that's really the key. So it's the pre and the post game. Okay. I, I, oh, you're, oh, you're you're speaking I'm, my language now. All right, right, right. So, well, see, I am a professional communicator, <laughs> and so this is what I do. I get I, I get to the areas where people are. I, I I meet you on your turf. I play away games all the time. See that? I just <laughs> Thank you. did it again. I'm writing all these down. There you go. So, as an introvert, going into an event or going into something or like a party, going out to meet people, whatever, like you've got to. Uh, you got to kind of get hyped up for the game. How do you, how do you do this? I, you know, I have like a bit of a, uh, like a war chant and I've got like face paint. No, but it's just a mental preparation kind of thing. Like I need to know in advance and I'm not as bad as some introverts. There are some that like, th- like, cause I don't get anxiety or anything about it. It's just like, I want to know like, okay, well, what time do I need to be there? And I make sure I'm early sure. and who's going to be there and, what time are we going to, how long are we going to stay? What's expected? What's not? Like, it, it, all, all these different types of, you know, questions. I want as many details as possible before I roll in there. Okay. And then when I'm done, I'm spent. <laughs> no, I am. I, I leave it all out there on the field. And uh, <laughs> I'm starting to think that you need, that on Monday, in pure Cam Newton fashion, we need to have like a, uh, like a smoke and mirrors mm. thing where like you come through the, the door of the studio, we play your, we play the, uh, the Led Zeppelin thing. And that's when you actually start the show. And I should celebrate like you just every re- single phone call that I take, yes. just, just over celebrate to like laps around the studio. Every break that you hit. Even if it's not on time, just <laughs> every over, hot, over celebrate every hot take that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So. After the event is over, though, you're I'm, you're just drained. And some people who are extroverts after they do stuff like that, they're energized. That's the difference. They draw energy. And I, and I know this. My wife and I have become very attuned to this difference because she is an extrovert mm-hmm. and I'm an introvert. And so she will make plans. Christy makes plans. For all sorts of stuff. Yeah, you were talking about your weekend plans. This, right, uh, they get loaded tomorrow. up and loaded up and loaded up because that's how she gets energy. That's she loves going out and like you like you know social butterfly. That mm-hmm. like that's what that's how she loves and enjoys life. And I do not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. It's just it's just, it's it's not that I don't enjoy it because when I'm at the events, like you said, like I do enjoy it. I have I'm happy talking with people and all and all of that's fine. It's just the amount of gas left in the tank afterwards. There's just not a lot there. It's all spent, and so people are like, "Well, but you're on the radio. How's that possible?" I'm like, well, I'm in a room, 
talking to a wall. And I mean, Ryan's off to the side there too, but he might as well be a wall because you're behind the <laughs> monitors. I can't see you. So it's like I'm, I'm in here alone talking. So are you one of those people that like need to be working all the time? It, well, I've been doing it so long, I don't know what it is to not do it. Correct. Um, yeah, like when I got when I got laid off from um, from FNZ last year. That's a sports talk station that we don't talk. The about. one the one down the hall, <laughs> the one right around the corner. Uh, yeah, I mean when I, when I got when I got laid off, I mean first off, I had been working remotely for like a month and a half before that, mm-hmm. and working from my like my bed or my couch, I couldn't do it. Like, well, you got no. See, that's yeah. Uh, when I did so, I heard I, I heard the thing about like you have to have a desk. You and, do. Yeah, you got to have routine, and you got you got to get up. And have an area, have a space, even if it's small. Uh, y- you got to have a zone that you are working in because right. it has to be different than your downtime. Yeah. And and I'm and I am a big believer also in stopping to sharpen the axe. I thought he, you were, I thought you were gonna say your pencil like you did earlier. And the pencil. <laughs> no, he who stops to sharpen his axe cuts more wood. Right. Right. You, you got to take breaks. You can't. You, you can't be running constantly twenty four seven. And in the past. That was my weekends. So, like, I, on the weekends, I would be decompressing. I wouldn't be following anything. But I don't know what has gone on in the world. Well, it's, it's since the pandemic. It's it just, it. everything has just been turned up to 11, and you don't even get relief on the weekends anymore. Right. So. I mean, I needed, like, after about a month of being unemployed and, and, and being on unemployment, like, I only, like, I was at a year, I was at a work for, I mean, like career-wise, for a year and three months, and I only collected two months of unemployment. I literally went and worked at a bunch of restaurants or whatever, just because I had to do something. I had to keep myself busy because yeah. otherwise, I was I was the same I was the same mindset. I needed. Well, they that. also canceled all your sports. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> all um, you had to follow was politics. Cor- correct. See, I didn't even get a break. <laughs> Mine got turned up to eleven on that. More like twenty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just needed stuff to do. Like, like being, being at home for like a month was nice and it was kind of a, a way to kind of chill out or whatever. But after a month, I just needed something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that problem. <laughs> Cause I got, see, I got laid off a month prior to the pandemic. So I was already unemployed and then everybody else came became unemployed with me so i didn't even get the covid <laughs> i didn't even get the covid check you were the, you were the leader yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, i was fo- like, follow me to victory yeah it's like i've been here for like 60 days already you losers but uh no i uh i got i got laid off before that and then um started the podcast so it it yeah it just never st- it, it it never stopped for me um all right up next One of the guys I met while I was up in the mountains, Chris Cooper. That's actually not true. I knew him from my college youth. Well, join us after the break. We're going to talk about Madison Cawthorn's announcement. It's going to run for the newly created District 13 congressional seat up next on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. (laughs) 